welcome to another edition of Reptile Fight Club. It's uh, me, your host, Justin Dewlander. Happy to be here and fighting about reptile topics. And with me is Mr. Bob Rock. <laughs> Rob Stone, how you doing, man? I'm great. Yeah, it was a couple couple nights in a well, so we got one in the can last week, and then uh, last night we did the holiday show with a whole host of folks, which was really fun. So yeah, yeah. all sorts of, we're deep in it. Yeah. So it's really good. <laughs> yeah, two nights in a row recording, so that's uh uh, it was fun though. That the holiday show was a great time with uh, all the guys there, and so if you haven't checked that out, uh, take a look on YouTube. That was a live show, so you can see our uh, radio faces. And <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was a good time last night. Um, poor Nipper, man, up at uh, two a.m. Uh, recording. He's a trooper, especially yeah. with his work schedule as of, as of late. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's. Uh, Good to see, good to see everybody. And it was fun because, uh, yeah, last, in, within the last year, I'd seen everybody on the screen in person. So it was pretty cool. And man, yeah, I, that was I don't really know, cool. I'm getting old or something, but my memory was fading. Like we, we were talking about the other trips we were on. I'm like, oh yeah, we did that this year. Like, holy crap. Uh, we did a lot of, a lot of good trips this year. So that was a good time. But, yeah. Yep. Good. I was looking through it today. We since we had talked about it, and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean a ton of ton of cool stuff, ton of cool stuff coming forward. Um, and then a couple, uh, you got in a couple by yourself and all, and we did the same. And I think it it kind of worked out. Uh, you know, we always wish the best for everyone, but it was kind of like I think we both had mild success. So there was some yeah. <laughs> some jealousy, yeah. some some missed out, but not. Uh, not like, oh man, I can't believe X, Y, or Z. You know? Yeah, I knocked it out of the park. I found everything I was looking for, so now I don't need to go back. And like, oh man, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you, you you do hope for the best for your friends to to find you know what they're looking for and things. So you know, I was I was really 100%. sad to to hear you guys found a a diamondback that had just gotten hit. That's a heartbreaker, especially if that's kind of the. That was probably top of the list, or or at least high up on the list for for to find in Florida. So it's kind of a bummer. It was definitely the the basis for going. You know, there were other yeah. things that were certainly of interest, but there's no disputing that. Yeah, that's what we were trying to go for, and yeah, um, yeah. So that and to well, see it on the first day within a couple hours, and not not what we're looking for. And by the same token, I don't know that I'm gonna get out to the gamma ranges to look for carpets, especially if your birthday thing isn't happening there. So there's no, you know, I, I was fully, I would have loved, you know, to see that photo. Cause I don't, you know, there's no worry there of like, you know, I got to go to Australia a whole host of times before that would be the priority for me. So. Yeah. And, and it is, a, it, it was a bit of hard herping, like, and, and maybe it was just the timing and kind of the colder than normal, um, weather that they were having at the time. Cause I, you know, Luke did talk about his trip and finding all the gecko species we were looking for. So at least it was warmer a few weeks later, <laughs> you know, so, but, uh, right. I, I don't know. It was, it, it's pretty remote. Um, when you get up further up into the gammons, but you know, some of the areas down South, uh, in the Flinders were pretty accessible and not too bad. And I really enjoyed searching in those areas. Those canyons were fantastic. So, Despite not finding a carpet, I really enjoyed the canyons and scenery and 
whatever wildlife we we were able to see. So, yeah, I I mean I I can see myself going back there again. It was a really cool area and lots of good potential. I I need to get back there just to you know, try to get some more of the targets that I was looking for, especially those geckos. They should be pretty easy as long as, <laughs> right. warm, you know, yeah. Um, so yeah, what do you do? That's the reason yeah, we keep going back, I guess. That, right, for sure. And that, that's sort of every place. And even it's sort of, even if you find them, there might be a secondary target that you didn't find or um, even just saying, hey, maybe I didn't get the photos that I liked that much, you know, sort of. Yeah. Uh, even with the Owen Pelly and stuff, it's like, well, maybe yeah. we'll push our luck and try and find one that's easier to take, right. even better photographs of and stuff like that. Right. You know, um, the thing that jumped out to me from what you said, I I feel like mid to end of October is really good up on the top end. But I I think now we've been a couple times and uh, at that sort of time frame. And I think probably that far south, that's yeah. you'd want to be a month or so later. You know, yeah, that's true. And I, and I had considered that, but I'm like, well, you know, I've, I know people in the area. Your circumstance. You know, yeah. 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 It was just a convenient way to do it. And I mean, it was a great time of year for uh, shingleback skinks, you know, and who doesn't love to yeah. see those? And so that's all. Awesome. I, I still haven't seen one. I'm super yeah. jealous. If, that's, Let all alone, we, if that's all we saw, it would be still a pretty awesome trip, you know, just cause they're such iconic, uh, lizards and just fun to see. But, uh, yeah, I mean, to, to Amala, people over there, the it's probably, Bluton, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All that was stuff. A, and, and in the Sydney area, I mean, that was more of kind of like a guided tour, you know, the locals took me out and took me to their spots. And so that was really uh, nice to be able to see them. But at the same time, it's, you know, it kind of takes away that satisfaction of kind of finding the areas on your own. And, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't know. I guess we're kind of similar in that attitude of it's fun to plan it out, figure it out and find it on your own rather than be told where to go or, you know, be taken and shown. Right. You know, I'd much rather find it. So I was happy that I spotted the first uh, Alpine, uh, the blotch blue tongue before, you know, I, I spotted the first live one. We did see a DOR, but um, yeah. And then we mm -hmm. saw two more after that that were out in the road. So, yeah, it was cool. Um yeah, that is cool. Yeah, and and Taliqua are fairly difficult to predict. So you know, I guess that time of year is about your best chance to see them. So you know, it was good time of year to see those. So you know, and and I guess right. that's the, kind of the the give and take. You know, it, one one time of year might not be great for everything. It might be great for your target or you know something else, but. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad that they had time to take me up to the the area, you know, and that I didn't have to rent a car. They were kind enough to drive me out there. But yeah, it was really cool hanging with with Colin and and uh, Matt and some of the other guys uh, that took us around. So um, really a fun time with those guys. It was it was a great trip, and I I wouldn't mind going back to that area. You know, it's uh, it was it was fun. And it was awesome. You know, yeah. And I mean, you're. To oh, great. Great to finally find a, a thick tailed gecko, too. That was a long time coming. I'd been in their range nice. many times and missed out. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I was going to say, the you know, when you're speaking of timing, too, right? The Utah trip that we had last year, um, I think it's really difficult in especially in a wet year like that to have the success in terms of the things that are 
requiring that moisture to be out at that time of year. And then obviously the con color was shut down by those conditions, right? It, that level of moisture, they're just not going to leave the dens and stuff. So it was sort of a, an impossible task to split both those things, at least in that weather, in the weather year. And I don't think we would have done nearly as well down in the St. George area if uh, yeah. it had been either later or not such a wet year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, some, you know, it's not necessarily a, a fast and firm rule. You know, sometimes you can, yeah, I remember one time I was traveling through St. George and I was, uh, I was messaging Chris and Aspen. I'm like, Hey, I'm just passing through. If you guys want to go do a, do a couple laps with me, you know? And, and they're like, Oh, it's too hot. You're not going to see anything. And I saw like four gophers, a, a king, a cow king. And like, um, there was a, a, uh, great basin rattlesnake, but it had been hit by a car, but you know, it was like, there were snakes, more snakes than I'd seen in a long time out there. And that's on the, that death stretch, you know, along the 91. Right. Or whatever, yeah. The, yeah. Beaver dam slope. So, um, it was nice to see some live snakes kicking on that road. But, and, that, and during yeah, the day, you know, surprise. it was crazy just, wow. just before dusk. So it was, uh, it worked out. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it might not be what you would plan. I, that's, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe this fits into both tonight's topic and other topics. Well, generally they're in this space is just, well, if you're there, you might as well take a look. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. especially, you know, if, if you're not from there, right. Maybe if it's your native area, you can be more selective and try and pick optimal times and things. You have the uh, ability to be um, uh, more selective. Right. But, as exactly. I think we talked about last night, either before or during the show, is if you're planning something six months in advance, you want to try and elite, you know, yeah. <laughs> have a plan to it and not uh, deliberately go uh, at a time that doesn't seem as ideal, even though it might, that particular night might actually, wind, or afternoon or whatever, might wind up being the best afternoon or night. But yeah. uh, ideally, you put in the thought to have a good plan, mm-hmm. try and maximize it. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, that'll come to play in our discussion a little later, but <laughs> yeah. How's your uh, season going? Are you preparing many uh, animals this year? Uh, nothing right now. Um, in the, uh, I, as we talked about last night a little bit, I'm uh, changing up some like caging for the rhino rats. And um, so I'm super excited about that project, but that'll keep me busy until, so I won't have them, paired up until sort of the the normative spring warm-up time, whereas you can keep them uh, in pairs normally, and and that actually works out pretty well. They are more like voids in terms of reproduction so that they're not corn snakes where you can just have a singular male or ball pythons and try and run that singular male through a whole host of different females. Um, With these, it seems they're more like uh, boas that do best when it's a singular pair that are kept together and for longer periods of time. Okay. okay. And uh, do you run multiple males or just a single pair? That's the best. For those, I, um, yeah, for the, for the most part, um, a singular male is, is fine. Uh, it's the Solomon, uh, <laughs> calling back right to the earlier reptile fight yeah. club, uh, mentioned that you had, it was the Solomon Island tree boas that I've seen okay. the multiple males really, be super useful. Um, gotcha. In rhino rats, the males are bigger than the females. Um, okay. So it's uh, not that same dynamic as the 
the tree boughs that have um, these males that are probably 15% of the volume of especially the large females. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they just don't have the, the energy capacity, right. To, to make it work. And I, given their natural history um, and observations, you know, in captivity, uh, they clearly don't fight. And it seems like it is sort of a, a team effort and maybe the functionality of being paired as a group or exposed as a group, they do it for sufficiently long that there actually is some uh, reproductive output from all of, you know, contribution from all of them. So it's not a deleterious strategy for a particular one to be amenable to sharing, basically. Yeah. Is is it uh, a resource thing or, I mean, because they, they come from kind of a tropical setting, right? And I, uh, Solomon Islands are equatorial yeah. for the most part. And so- yeah, a, a couple of small yeah, a couple of small islands. Um, it's not even, you know, the, the sort of large island in the Solomon Islands, the, um, what Santa Isabel that's famous for the white ground bow is the white pulse and I. They're further into the, further to the southeast from there, uh, on just a handful of tiny islands. Um, and then there's the related, a different subspecies that's on Fiji and Vanuatu that gets actually, the females get even larger than the female. Uh, Solomon Island tree bows. But uh, to your point, yeah, I think it's niche partitioning. Uh, there you go, Nipper. Um, that um, the in the wild, I think the males only get to the size where they eat skinks, uh, skink, you know, lizards. But uh, for the most part, I do think it's actually skinks that are there. Whereas the females obviously are, are born at a size where that's the suitable item that's available, but they will get to a size where they're eating mammals, and I, I don't know. I would guess that's mostly, or at least, they're taking advantage of introduced stuff to the extent that happens. The really big ones could even eat, could even eat a rat. I probably wouldn't eat for another four months, but they they could take it for sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean that. So that's I think that's I think. Uh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think of. You know, you think about diamond pythons and southwest carpets, and you know, imbricata and all all that kind of stuff. That's. Uh, where they don't have male combat it's yeah that niche partitioning or resource limitation that <laughs> keeps the males from uh competing with the females for a resource but also you know requires the males to kind of help each other out when it comes time to breed and and that they don't fight each other and the females welcome you know multiple males usually so yeah it's uh it's yeah. neat to see those uh ties across the, you know, species or, or, uh, genera or even families, you know, that kind of shared strategy right. across the world. Cool. Yeah. All yeah. these different habitats. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And even though it's like, you know, the ones in Australia, it's usually because they come from colder habitats or, you know, more, more temperate climates that, that don't allow maybe as long a, a growing season or, or things like that. So they kind of you know, they're not, they're spending more time focused on females, so they're not eating, so they stay smaller, you know, who knows which came first, the chicken or the egg, but you know, that's kind right. of what we're, we're looking at now. And yeah, it's just cool. I, I don't know. I geek out about the, the natural history things. And I, I really, I mean, 
I, I know I kind of push this a lot on the show, but you know, if you keep an animal, you should know what it does in the wild as best you can, you know, as for as much information as is out there. And, and there is some good information, you know, obviously there's some misinformation, but, uh, it's, it's really important, I think, to, to learn the natural history of the things you keep. Um, shout out to natural history. <laughs> For sure, 100%. Well, any, anything else going on cool in the reptile world in your sphere? No, I think I'm ready to fight. Well, I want to hear what you have going because you have far more, uh, a far broader world of possibilities. So I, I want to hear about that. And then uh, once we go through that stuff, I'm ready to fight. All right. Yeah, I I probably shouldn't be pairing up that much stuff because I'm, you know, I, I have way too many uh, animals. And so, but I've paired up a few inlands and, you know, my jungle pair is, stays together year round. Um, so they may go, I've paired up the blackheads, but they usually, I don't usually have that much success. So I don't, I'm not overloaded with blackheaded pythons, but I do have two from last year that are going strong and doing well. They, they do have, you know, kind of the messed up eyes from, I'm pretty sure from that temperature spike that I had early on, but the uh, female blackhead looks like she's uh, ovulated um, right now. So she's, she's nice and swollen up. So could be looking at eggs in a couple months here. Um, give me another chance to try them out, but yeah, she's doing really well. I've got some Womas paired up, uh, can't have too many Womas, it seems, and they're they're looking good. I've seen a few of the pairs locked up, so hopefully that's productive. Um, pygmy pythons, you know, some of the Antaresia. I, I paired up some um, spotted pythons, children's pythons. So we'll see what takes, but I'm not trying to overdo it. I've got way more pairs than I've put together. <laughs> Just, uh, But I, I probably need to start top, uh, thinking about further refinement and, you know, uh, pairing up some of my holdbacks because I've just been pairing up some of the older pairs that I have, but I need to start pairing up the next uh, generation. I kind of raise some up a little slower and, and I'm not in a big hurry to, to breed them, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, but I, I was looking at a few and I'm like, oh, they're plenty big to, to breed and they're plenty old to breed as well. So, um, yeah, we'll see, see how next year goes. I need to put a little more forethought into it, but one of the big plans is get more caging, you know, get more large caging for, for some of the, the pythons, um, and increase their, their cage sizes. So, and have some more features, I don't know, like some, you know, different height areas and, you know, branches and stuff like that. So always hoping to make it yeah. uh, better, but I, I think for uh, Christmas, I'm going to get a, a Milwaukee uh, a Brad gun, the <laughs> battery powered. So I don't have to have a compressor uh, attached with like, you know, staple guns that I've had in the past. You yeah. The, the uh, compressor on and the hose and it's kind of a pain, but so I'm looking forward to trying out the, the battery powered and uh, that's the present my parents are giving me. So at least partially, so awesome. that'll be fun to play with. <laughs> Go Milwaukee. I really yeah, that'll enjoy be super the cool. cordless, uh, cordless tools. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, hundred percent. Uh, probably more than I should be pairing, but we'll see what happens. I'm hoping for the Agurnia to produce as well. they they have such small litters, you know, two or three. So right. shouldn't be, shouldn't run me out of house and home. Overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's been a couple of years, right? Since you 
what, it was a handful of years ago that you got all of the Antaresia forms that you had produced yeah. all in the same year. Um, yeah, but it's been a couple I, years since that happened, right? I'm, yeah, I missed out last year on Spotted's, the year before on Children's, and the year before that on Pygmy's. So it's kind of like, yeah, I've I've just missed one right. or yeah or another. So uh, we'll see if it if I hit all four this year again. We'll we'll see what happens. But yeah, I finally um, one of my I think it's my oldest snake that I had uh, finally passed away. She it was a children's python, and she was. Uh, 25 years old. So, you know, she'd seen better days and had had some, a <laughs> uh, uh, couple rough years, but she was still hanging in there and kicking. But yeah, I lost her this year. So that was kind of a bummer. I got her directly. I bought her directly from the Barkers back in 1999 <laughs> and they, that pair had hatched in 1998. So the male passed away last year and then she passed away this year. So, you know, Kind of a end of an era, I guess, for, for my first children's pythons. <laughs> but yeah, all the, most of the children's pythons I work with have descended from that pair. So it's kind of sad to, to lose that pair, but they, uh, they had a, yeah, right. A and run. I, that is a pretty good run. And the funny bit about that, right? It would be from that pair that we would have met in 2004 for me to get a pair of children's pythons from you. That's right. <laughs> right. When we met up in Wyoming. Yep. Yeah. 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 I still remember that. We were, we were on our way to my sister's, I think, in, or I think it was my, maybe it was South Dakota. Cause that was a while ago. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it would be fall of four. Yeah. Fall or maybe fall into winter. It was snowing, I think a little bit, not too bad. Okay. So it would have been, it probably would have been my sister's Thanksgiving out in Kansas. Cause, uh, my wife and I tried to go to South Dakota, go up to Reptile Gardens and visit Terry back in the late 90s. And our car broke down in Wyoming and Casper. <laughs> so we had to have somebody come bring us back home. And then we had to go back up and get the car. When they told uh, Heidi's parents that they had a tow bar that could work with their vehicle. And then when they got there, the guy at the, the rental place is like, no, we don't have anything like that. Like, why did somebody tell us we did? <laughs> and so we had to drive back and then drive up a truck and get our car that had crapped out and take it back. So it's kind of a, a very uh, failed mission. But uh, eventually we got, got up to Reptile Gardens and got to visit with Terry and see everything there. Pretty, very, very cool spot. If you haven't made it to Reptile Gardens in South Dakota, you need to give that a shot. But wholeheartedly agree i've been there three times or so and yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah same for me i've been there three times and i'm itching to get back there <laughs> heidi and i were just talking about that the other night too like when when should we go back and go to south dakota it's kind of fun to go in the winter when there's no visitors and so terry can kind of give you his invited right. attention <laughs> but yeah he's pretty good even when there are visitors to kind of give us the tour and give us the show, get out all, you know, the King Cobra and <laughs> play with it. And we're sitting in chairs right? a couple feet away. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we ready to put up our dicks. Yeah. How about you introduce that? Okay. So Rob and I um, have, have a little bit of different philosophy on herp trips and planning herp trips. And, and I tend to, kind of maybe overdo it and drive, 
you know, thousands of miles or kilometers and in search of uh, reptiles in different areas. So I'll spend maybe a day or two in one area and then drive, you know, four or five hours to the next spot and stay there for a night and then go to the next spot and, and do a big loop, you know, through all of Queensland or all of uh, Western Australia and, uh, and spend maybe two or three weeks doing so. And, uh, and then Rob tends to have more focused trips where they're set, you know, in, in the area where you might find a, a, uh, target species, you know, that he's been researching. And, and so he's, he's in, you know, more limited geographical range with a more focused, uh, uh goal, I guess you could say, does that sum it up? All right. So we're going to, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, so we'll, that we'll that be, can be uh, what we that can be the basis of the fight. Yes, yeah, yeah. Debating <laughs> the grand the, adventure the versus of, the focal focal point. There we yeah. go. Okay, <laughs> so uh, we'll go ahead and flip the coin. I, you know, it's one of these things. What you want to call it? There. <laughs> sure, heads. It is heads. <laughs> so, um, I guess here's the you know the drum roll. Do you want to take your approach and defend it, or do you want to try to Defend my approach. <laughs> I think for this one that I will take my own approach just for the the sake of hearing from you the best points as to the alternative. I do think you the the nature of the show, right? It it does make a ton of sense to have uh, to illustrate the capacity to make the best argument for the opposite side on this particular topic. I think I want to hear sort of the best points from your perspective. Um, okay. for that, just so we can make sure that the, the advocacy can be at its best as opposed to challenging us as the advocates. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Um, then, uh, I guess as the winner of the coin toss, you get to say if you want to go first or if you'd like me to lead us out. How about you lead us out? You okay. always start these things so well. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. You just chucked me. Huh? <laughs> um, all right. So, <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know, I guess, um, I think the, the, the main reason that I take these big, long trips probably stems back to my original trips in Australia, um, where, you know, I, I, I'm not able to get over there as, as much, obviously as much as I'd want to, but also, you know, I figure if I'm going to fly over there and spend three hours on a plane, I want to you know, see as much as I can in that time. And so that's kind of what's maybe driven that, um, in my mind is like, Oh, you know, I can find this here. Oh, wait, if I just drive a couple more hours North, I can find this. And Oh, wait, look a few more miles above that. And I can find this or, or a few hundred more miles I can find this. So, um, it, it just kind of blossoms from, from, uh, from maybe more humble beginnings and it spreads out, you know, like when I went to central Australia, it's like you're in Alice Springs, you got to go see Ayers rock, you know, Uluru, you can't <laughs> not go see that. And so it, it, part of it's um, scenery as well. You know, I, I do want to hit some of the kind of touristy spots like, like uh, Uluru or um, Kings Canyon, you know, Watarka, that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're in the, but man, it takes a long time to get to Uluru from Alice Springs. It seemed like it took quite a, quite a drive. So, um, I, I'm, 
I kind of like driving too. So it's not too uh, intimidating for me to be able to do that. And then, well, I'll save, I'll save that point for later. So I think um, just the fact that you can see a lot more of the, you know, the area you're in, you can make the most of your trip. Um, that's, I guess, why I would uh, say that I really enjoy those long uh, road trips rather than a more focused approach. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think the um, sticking within that framework is actually sort of the reason that I've come to like the approach that I have. It does go back to the first couple of trips that I took, where our available time frame is just inherently more limited. So that I think it actually makes a lot of sense if you're talking about something. I'm going to be there for two or three weeks. That's just a wholly different deal than saying we'll be there for in country for. I think on the first trip, we were in country across two places, a total of five nights, much to your mortification there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like you three, three nights on a Maybe. plane. and <laughs> I think it was five. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I think it was five. Yeah. Um, and so uh, obviously the, just the overall, you know, if you're setting the meets and bounds of the trip, the capacity to be there three times as long yeah, it makes a ton more sense to add some variance to that. Just with all of our, uh, meaning uh, within the core group, right, of folks who have gone at this point uh, not being uh, teachers uh, so that we have sort of a down a down season in the summer, right? And I know that's not always the case or whatever, but um, without a – with a pretty finite, particularly, uh, you know, Keith and Eric, it seems like they're – uh, PTO, FTO is, is pretty limited. So just, um, it's almost a question of like, well, if they, I know with Keith's thing, like half to two thirds of it, he is automatically already pre-planned away. Uh, meaning with family, you know, family trips and obligations and stuff like that. So, um, it's, you know, partially just a quantity question and saying, okay, what's within, within the means of, practicality, right? How long could I be away for both from work and um, stuff at home and all that? So um, I think that's sort of the initial base response to saying, well, we've come from a spot of saying, now we've been at trying to add a day or two from what we started with, um, as opposed to, you know, having started with the grand adventure. But I certainly understand it. I mean, heck, I, I love reading on your site the you don't do them so much anymore, but the old, yeah. very detailed trip, <laughs> trip dialogues and things. And I understand why you don't, because that must've been a ton of work. Yeah. It took a lot of time. And I think I was riding high on that first trip, you know, from all the great experiences we had and all the fun stuff we saw. So, um, but yeah, I think lately it's just become a pictorial. <laughs> Here's what we saw, you know? Right. Um, I, I would like to get back to the more long form narrative. And I think, uh, I, I was, I think my second trip, I wrote an article for uh, the reptiles, not reptiles, Australia, but scales and tails, Australia, that magazine okay, that yeah. was, the Kuligowskis were putting out. I, I think it got published in there, but I can't remember. But yeah, that was kind of the idea that that's why I started just putting up pictures. Cause I did the long form for magazine articles and I was kind of thinking, Oh, maybe I could do that with all my trips, but that didn't pan out. And then scales and tails folded <laughs> after the Kuligowski sold it. And it was kind of a fiasco there for a bit, but uh, yeah, I, I, uh, 
I think, you know, of course, that's, you know, a big factor, you know, if I didn't have the time and, and, you know, the nice thing about working for a university is, is they do have a pretty nice PTO uh, schedule, especially if you've been there as long as I have, where I've worked for the same right. university since 1999. So, you know, I've, I've, I got a much better accumulation of PTO and then, at the end of the year, if you don't use sick leave, and I, I haven't used any sick leave this past year, and, and so I can convert 32 hours over to PTO from my sick leave. So it just gives me an additional few days. I, my dad was complaining. He's like, how are you going on so many trips? I'm retired and I don't have <laughs> as many trips as you've gone. So I guess, uh, yeah, it's uh, worked out pretty well. I, I guess I'm happy with my choice. I don't make much, you know, compared to like a doctor or a lawyer, but it uh, works out for the PTO, I guess. <laughs> nice benefits package. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, I guess another point that, that I really I, I wanted to hit on um, was when, you know, if you, if you, and, and I mean, this, this, this may kind of be off topic a little bit, but if you have that uh, flexibility to, you know, if you're not locked down to a certain area, if you don't have, you know, rental places, if you're just kind of sleeping in a tent or something, um, you have the flexibility to kind of go where the action is. You know, you might say, okay, well, right here, you know, it's, it's too cold at night. So we're going to drive, you know, further south or, you know, depending on where you are, I guess you might be going further north if you're in Australia to get to warmer locations. And, uh, you know, I kind of learned that uh, from um, Jordan Parrott to some extent. He's like, you know, if you if you have more flexibility, you can, you know, maybe see more because you can say, well, it's not it's not hitting here. So let's go somewhere else. And, you know, that kind of um, maybe helps in, in regards to, you know, yeah, you got to plan something months in advance, but it's always, you know, you can have a B plan if, if that doesn't work and have, you know, maybe another target or another area that you want to hit if, if plan A doesn't work. And so, you know, yeah, you do need to kind of plan things months in advance and that becomes difficult and kind of logistically difficult, especially if you're uh, traveling with people who have flown in and don't have room to bring, you know, a tent or a sleeping bag or that kind of thing, or don't maybe don't even have that gear. And uh, so I get it. You know, if you're planning a trip for a group, it it uh, tends to add add some logistical uh, constraints, I guess you could say. But um, having that flexibility to say, you know, I'm going to go try Plan B because Plan A isn't panning out is is uh, also a helpful tool. But um, so, you know, I thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, certainly that's fair. Um, I think the – so there have been a couple times where we've essentially just, um, you know, where that has been the imperative. We just had it on the last trip to Australia, the yeah. um, last, quote, NPR trip or whatever, where – yeah, I changed last night, which meant I had an empty spot that I had booked and whatever. And you just sort of, well, it was 20 bucks a person or whatever. And we just ate it and said, well, we want to move south, you know, further south sooner. And it is what it is, you know. Um, yeah. And that's obviously not the inherent. There's a, a clear downside to that, right? When there is a plan as opposed to sort of what, you know, what you're describing where it's inherently nomadic with maybe the possibility to be more stationary. But um, I don't know. I think 
certainly it's a, a a point that I've heard before is like, okay, to what extent are you, um, are we soft or whatever that, oh, you want to have a, a clear accessibility to a bathroom and a shower and whatever. And okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll, I'm willing to take that and just say like, sure. I, I like to be able to do that when it's, when it's feasible and possible, right? If you're in the bottom of the Grand Canyon, there's obviously more limitations, right? And I'm not going to say, okay, well, we got to plan on doing this impossible thing to facilitate that. There's just a night or two that are out of pocket and it is what it is um, when that's necessary. But when it's not necessary and we can plan something that seems to make sense months away, I'm happy to do that. And even if that means, you know, the credibility takes a hit or whatever because I'm unwilling to or less interested, not unwilling, but less interested in um, sleeping, sitting up in a car with five other people or whatever. That That's fine. I can, my, my pride can withstand that. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't think I could survive sleeping, sitting up in a car. Like I just don't sleep in cars. It's very difficult for me. So that would about kill me. So I'd have to have some kind of sleeping bag or tent to roll off, you know, throw on the side of the road or something. But I, I'm with you there. I couldn't sleep yeah. in a car for sure. Um, I, I think the other thing there is, you know, if you, if you've planned a few days in, in an area and, and granted, you know, what area is not going to have multiple targets, but you know, if you, if you get to an area and you just knock it out of the park on the first day and you find, you know, all of your targets and then you're sitting there going, Oh, we're booked for two or three more days in the same area. You know, we just found everything. And, you know, I've got other targets, other locations that I'd also like to maybe go spend some time there. But now I have to drive a few hours to get there and drive back a few hours to get back to the rental place. You know, that kind of can be a little tedious, too. So, you know, without that flexibility um, or or if you're tied to a certain spot, you know, it does. And and it, um, even even if you are kind of have a central location that does require a lot more driving and a lot more tired time on the road, but you know, you can make the best of it, but you know, that that's obviously, you know, kind of a, a, a potential downside to more driving. Yeah, uh, for sure. Equals less herping in some instances. I mean, obviously you can road cruise, but when you're traveling on main thoroughfares, you're not going to see as much <laughs> usually. Yeah. For sure. I, I think that's totally fair. I mean, that's exactly the instance that uh, we just had in Australia that you're describing there, where it was like, oh, actually, you know, in this area, we knocked it out of the park with uh, coastal carpets on that uh, sort of either maybe the first night in that area or the second of three, however it was. And I had already sort of pre-planned to, um, to move further south. But I mean, that was exactly what you just described. And the answer was, well, I just had to eat it, you know, <laughs> but I was willing to. So maybe that's that's the thing. If you're going to take the approach that I do, then you need to just have the capacity and willingness to be like, I've made this plan so that there isn't the absence of a plan. I know on our first trip to Australia, the clear feedback um, that I had gotten was like, well, I never want to be sitting there saying, what are we going to do? I wanted to have it be, I have, I have a laundry list of options. My recommendation or my uh, choice would be either option A or option B, but I have through option E of what we can do. And that can include saying, Hey, we're audible and completely. And I know that there's going to be a, 
you know, pecuniary cost uh, associated with making this choice, but that's fine. We're, you know, you only live once and you're in Australia, like, okay, it is what it is. Or even if we're just on one of, you know, a, a domestic trip, right? And just be saying like, okay, we've actually really seen what we want to see here, but if we go further west, then there's the capacity to add Tiger Rattlesnake, you know, the Senecolis, whatever it might be in a in a better context. Heck, if we were sitting situated in that way on uh, Saturday mid-afternoon and we weren't, you know, we were staying in that spot through the net, uh, 24 hours from then, whatever, like, that's fine. I just, I just move on and it's not, you know, that's, to me, that's, that's great. That means it went great. So I'm actually happy for it. And just like, sure. okay, we're given, we have that much more time to try and do the other thing that I wanted to do. Um, so I would, there's an obvious downside, right? In terms of changing plan, you know, there's some transiency to that and there's probably, there certainly is a cost associated with doing that, but I would actually love that because it would mean that things are going awesome. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, I, I've, uh, when I, you know, I've gone on plenty of trips with you and I'm, I, I will say that you are definitely willing to listen to other opinions and to, you know, re rearrange plans according to feedback from other people in the group. You know, you're, you're really amenable to that. And I, I think that's really a good, good quality that, you know, you, cause I've heard of some people that just kind of say, nope, this is the plan. You're doing what I'm, I'm, I planned and, and shut up about it. You know, <laughs> and not you're, we're, we're doing my trip kind of thing, you know, so you're not that way at all. So right. That's really, yeah, really nice. But, um, uh, and to yeah, the that, point you made, uh, I appreciate it to the point you made about the central spot. Mm-hmm. Um, again, lesson learned on, you know, our kind of as a, uh, the NPR group anyway, mm-hmm. the first trip was really that, I was just thinking about this today is really I've only been kind of from my perspective really herping for the last five years. And it really started with um, our trip to Can- the Cairns area in 2018. And yeah, it must have been five nights because we had four nights up in Almaden, which is a southern suburb of Cairns, um, as sort of the, the base camp. And we went all the way out to Chiligo and we went up to the Daintree and, um, you know, down south to uh the famous carpet beaches and all that stuff so um that was an example of what you said and i definitely took that as a lesson learned of saying like what is the downside exactly as you described of a singular central place as opposed to planning in sort of some transition and transitory nature to the whole thing and plus i mean that place was fine that we stayed, but it wasn't great. And it's like our experience would have been enriched, not hindered with some, uh, with some momentum there, with some movement that definitely would have been, would have served, served the trip well, you know, which is not to knock any of it or, or certainly our results. I was, um, you know, very happy to see a couple of scrub pythons and we saw jungle carpets and all that. So it worked out well, but they're, exactly to your description of oh we have we have to either have to get moving now or just have to um, deal with the, the negative consequence of having a staying definitively staying at this point someplace that's 90 minutes the other way or two hours the other way like i yeah it's totally totally well taken 
And um, one other, uh, I guess, example of kind of the benefits of having that flexibility is the, you know, the cynicals that we did find. Um, we slept out, you know, just on the side of the road um, out in the out in the desert in in Arizona and getting up in the morning and, you know, driving down off of that that uh, canyon road or whatever. We we saw the cynicolas and we wouldn't have been in that spot, you know if we wouldn't have slept on the side of the road kind of thing. So that was, uh, um, I guess kind of, a, you know, if you, if you spend more time in the habitat and, and less time driving, you might have a better chance of, of seeing some things. Now, you know, we could have easily have missed it as well or, uh, but you know, now we know that, oh, Senecolis are moving in the morning and that's, uh, at that time of year, which, kind of was surprising it uh when we were telling people about it they're like oh really you saw one that time of year you know when did you see it oh in the morning oh that's weird you know usually we see them this time or whatever you know so it was kind of uh and and i think too you know we is i guess this pertains maybe more to um herping in your backyard you know but that idea that, oh, you know, I know nothing's moving right now. I'm not going to go out or, or I've seen everything or, you know, that kind of thing. If, uh, if you're, or no, maybe, I guess not necessarily I've seen everything, but if you're, if you have a target and you say, oh, I'm only going to look for this target in May because that's when they're most likely to be found, you know, you might miss, uh, learning something about that species. Maybe they are very active at another time of year, but it's just kind of that doctrine that, Oh, they're only available. You know, they're only on the move in May. And, and so I think that's the, the best opportunity if it's close by to where you live that you can get out more often and kind of maybe work out some things that people don't know about that species. And and I think we've done that on, on a trip or two where, you know, we, we haven't gone during the, the peak of the monsoon season, but we've still seen plenty of our targets and found pretty much, you know, what we have been looking for down there. So. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, so, you know, this is how you win these arguments is that you have, you bring up so many different uh, points that I want to address that then I forget to address them. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, yes. So I will start at the end and then work backwards to the extent that I can remember. Um, but yeah, I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of shoulder season. I'm a huge fan of, um, sort of, uh, counter public opinion, right? Contrary public opinion of saying like, oh, you can only find them at X time. For the most part, I mean, and you've seen it both where it's worked out for us and where it hasn't of saying like, I love shoulder seasons and saying like, oh, everyone says that it has to be this, but that there's not a clear, ecological indicator that would cause that limitation, then I'm dubious, right? It just says, to me, it aligns with the public expectation is a self-fulfilling prophecy. So how everyone goes to West Texas at this time, and this is the time that it works, or in Arizona, this is the time. Obviously, we've proven that that isn't inherently the only time that it can happen, right? Um, But at the same time, it's probably not totally baseless. Uh, particularly if you're talking about looking in the Chiricahuas and stuff like that, like there's a front end in a, or Utah or Colorado, yeah. there's a front end and a back end where it just goes, yeah, I probably wouldn't go looking in general. I, if I'm planning it six months in advance, I wouldn't plan to go to Colorado to herb in at Thanksgiving. 
like the, it, the weather could be fine and given sort of the the native um what our climactic conditions are like generally it's actually entirely possible you might see stuff if the weather you know turns out for you and whatever that, that might work but that's fundamentally there are some questions to your methodology unless you know, heck, you had to be there for a conference on X date, so you were going to be there. And the question to your point was, am I going to go out or not? Because I've presumed that I, you know, presuming that you won't have success. Yes, nothing's more self-defeating than that, for sure. Totally agree. Um, I will say in the other, so a couple components there was in terms of the Senecola thing, I'm totally fine if kind of in either instance of saying that we've pre-planned to, as I say, stay in the car, you know, folks who can bring a bag, have have one and what, you know, circumstance dictates, but that can be fine if that's the plan and I'll just plan it in. Um, and then alternatively it could be, well, our plan is to go here, but let's do this thing instead because the situation's calling to us. The Senecolis thing is particularly funny to me because a, our, our local guide, one of our local guides anyway, in that immediate area, a certain Dustin Gron, um, <laughs> prior to both of our non-last year Arizona ventures, uh, I asked him about going to that spot, and um, he dissuaded me from putting it into the plan. Okay. <laughs> so that yeah. was particularly galling, uh, you know, and I understood why, because as he's... Oh, yeah. I think the answer is that he's struck out in that, you know, it's yeah. quote both the spot and a place that he's spent a ton of time <laughs> and it hasn't turned out. And then maybe the tide has turned a little bit on that uh, in general. Certainly it did, you know, on the day with you guys, like yeah. no doubt about that. But, um, well, in the day and even when we went out there the and tiger, all that, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And a liar snake that tried to, you know, give me the, the prank of a lifetime <laughs> or whatever, as I'm yeah. photographing a tiger snake and, uh, tiger rattlesnake and uh, it won't, I must have seen the lights or the flash or whatever and it said oh you know I'll totally prank this dude by crawling up his back as he's taking this picture a foot and a half in front of a rattlesnake and uh, yeah so um, distracting the car but uh, anyway the, you know the point would be distracted the driver and yeah and because there's a the person with a picture <laughs> yeah uh, yeah yeah just and you know the it could only you know it's it would sound fake, right? If we talked about it, right? It's like, oh, that couldn't have happened. Oh, it did. Okay. Truth, stranger than fiction. But, um, yeah, that, that was kind of the funny bit to me of you guys having that success in that particular place is, oh, there's no doubt. I was aware of that place, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I took advice that, nah, it's a waste of time. We don't want to do that. <laughs> so fair enough. We'll just have to try again and whatever. But, uh, well, but yeah, feel- that I guess, you know, yeah, if I remember, sorry, I just want to throw this in there while we're talking about that spot. If that's where I was, that's where I spent the night when I was waiting for you guys to fly in, um, on our first trip to Arizona, I was sleeping on that road and I cruised it several times and found one toad, you know, it was like, I could have said the the same thing. This place is dead. I'm not coming back here. But since that time, we've found a Senecolis, we've found a tiger rattler, we've seen, you know, liar and, and all sorts of fun stuff. So, you know, it's, it, it just, well, it, yeah. And you've just jumped into one of my principal points, my, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, relative to my, my strategy. Uh, yeah. thank you for that. Is that 
that's exactly the reason that I, in general, beyond sort of the practicalities and the way I've come to this point, I like to give spots the opportunity to express themselves differently on different nights, right? I mean, obviously, if the initial expression is everything is out, everything has gone great, then I'm, you know, into your camp, hey, we, maybe we need to be more itinerant. We, maybe we should move on. Maybe we should do something different. Um, maybe we can mix in the grand adventure. But you could have that night, but maybe the next night is fantastic. Like yeah. even we've had this where the conditions can seem the same or the night where the conditions seem optimal, we see nothing on night. The next night when it seems less optimal, we've, we've had success. Um, I, I guess I just feel like those things are so nebulous and uncertain and sort of beyond my, certainly beyond my ability to plan six months in advance, right? On our flo- most recent Florida trip, the answer was like the, the cold came early. And if we'd been there a week earlier, which is all of that was supposed to be like, it was supposed to be three weeks to a month before things got cool, but there was that hurricane that came through and it seems like it basically shut down central Florida like um, three weeks early. So if we'd gone the week before, awesome. Unfortunately, I didn't know about that hurricane that was going to shut down the season three weeks early, uh, six months in advance. Right. Um, But in general, like things can, if we're on the grand adventure um, and that doesn't have capacity of like, okay, well we're, yes, we have flexibility, but sort of the ideation and when we have to be at the next place, be that, a stay or you're going to meet, you know, meet up with a local buddy in an area or worst of all, Hey, my flight is a, you know, there's a, there's an actual hard deadline to be, you know, in this other place. Um, if, if you're on the grand adventure, you have to keep moving. And the answer could be that like, okay, that species is just off the list, right? We saw it when we, that was the first Arizona trip, right? With, with the Willard eye is that, um, we went to the same spot. What? three days in a row when we were in Utah for the Gila's, we went to that spot four or five times, you know, and it was Mm -hmm. the last one that paid out sort of the, and it was the same deal with the Willard eye where it's like, we know this is the spot. Do we, do we, or is a very viable spot? Do we go someplace else, you know, saying to mix it up to, because it, that can be super dispiriting and frustrating and all that. Right. Do we go someplace else or do we, you know, there we have the capacity. This is the spot. It just hasn't worked. Let's do it again. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a, a great point. And I, you know, agree wholeheartedly that, you know, my, that, uh, one night in one place definitely tends to, to lower your chances of seeing the target. Now, if I can use that as an excuse to go back, you have to more targets you could <laughs> see. Yeah. Sure. 100%. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And so, but, um, I mean, I, I think, you know, I do tend to, um, stay in an area a little longer if, if there are important targets in that area or, you know, change the plans a little bit. If, you know, we did strike out then say, Hey, let's stay here, you know, and, and, and move, you know, out of this area after we give it another night or another try, you know, and, and again, I guess the, the, that might not be feasible if you have a, a hard deadline, like, oh, we have a reservation at this place, you know, tomorrow night. And so we can't stick around here. We got to keep driving or we've got to, 
a boat tour in Cannes, you know, that we got to, we're, we're scheduled to do on the, this day, you know, so we got to make it to Cannes by that day. So you do have to kind of rearrange things. And like you said, six months in advance makes that difficult. But, you know, if, if I really want to see species X, then I spend two or three nights in that area. Oh, and I did have a thought on, you know, the same, you know, you never know, what conditions are going to make a place hop in a, in a given night. You know, you might think it's great and it turns out bust, but we went to fog dam um, when we were in the, in the Northern territory. And that was a, that was definitely a case of we had a base camp and we were driving, you know, in, in insane distances to get back to the Airbnb every night. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. I mean, we went to, from Darwin to Kakadu and back within, you know, 24 hours to make it to our Airbnb and then spent a lot of time sleeping, you know, the next yeah, day because we pretty- drove pretty much through the night and it was terrible, yeah. you know? So, um, that's not an advisable way to do things, you know, travel so far afield <laughs> when you have a base camp in Darwin, we should have just stayed around Darwin or, or made arrangements in Kakadu. But, um, and and in the in the in the yard in in of the Airbnb in Darwin, we found a Darwin carpet like the first night, and found like several frilled lizards running around the. You know, it was really a cool spot. But um, we went to Fog Dam um, a couple times on that trip, and and the conditions seemed the same for both nights. But one night we saw zero water pythons and then, and the other night we saw like seven or eight water, pythons. you know, they were, they were like, you would expect them to be all over the place in yeah. the area, you know? So saw big ones, little ones, one eyed ones, two eyed ones, you know, they were, <laughs> they were all over the place. So, um, but yeah, we couldn't figure out what the difference was between the two nights, but they knew and they were out, you know, and then same thing on the Dorat road. We, we went uh, and saw, you know, an olive, a blackhead, several lapids, a couple night tigers, bunch of geckos, all sorts of stuff, a DOR frilly. That was kind of a bummer. And then we went again the next night and saw Jack squat, except for maybe a couple geckos. And then the full moon came out and we're like, okay, this is <laughs> probably why, you know, <laughs> we're not seeing much. And, and then, you know, the, the other night too, it was preceded by a bit of rain. And so that was like a, a good omen. We found a, you know, yellow throated monitor breachy, uh, the, you know, during the day while we were yeah. getting positioned to go herp there. So, you know, it was having more nights and, you know, I guess that was part of that plan is we did hit those spots a couple times. And so we did see the, the boon and bust of the same area. And I think when you guys went to Dorat road, it was kind of a bust. You didn't see much on, on you know, and we heralded it. as Yeah, definitely. We place. saw a really nice night tiger. <laughs> yeah. But that was it. Yeah. That was basically yeah. it. And then yeah. there was a dead, you know, a kangaroo that had been hit. It was just rotting. It had probably been hit a week before and was just rotting out. So that the whole thing was unpleasant. We oh, and we saw an echid like a got a you know up close to an echidna and stuff. That, yeah, so cool. it's a fun herb trip, right? Where it's there's always some positive to it or whatever. But sure. yeah, yeah, I mean, I think we had two or three nights there, and all of them I would would probably certainly based on sort of the schema that you laid out would be in the bust category. Yeah. And, and I mean, why is that? Who knows? Like, it's really hard to, 
you know, predict when it's going to be off the hook. And, and, and actually when we were on the road, we'd seen, you know, the elapids and the kind of the smaller snakes and the, the night tigers and stuff. And then we had like a couple hours where there was nothing. And so, um, one notable member of the party was like, ah, let's go back to the Airbnb. It's dead. And we're like, no, we drove a long way to get here. We're staying, we're going to herp this place all night, you know, basically. And, you know, maybe a half yeah. hour later, hour later, that's when the Python started coming out, you know? So you do have some of those, um, nights where, yeah, you're going to spend all night herping and driving the roads and you're going to see nothing. And you're going to see, have other nights where you hit, you know, everything. And, but even on those great nights, there's still periods of, you know, slowness and, and you got to kind of stick to it or whatever. But, and it's, it's hard to know when to call. Yeah. hundred percent. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have that challenge every night basically. Right. You know, yeah. so. <laughs> do we go or not? Or yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that area that you're talking about, like if we're talking about sort of door at road area, it reminds me of a point that I was thinking as a, I don't honestly know whether this goes to your point or to mine, but <laughs> I, 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 we've hit on it a little bit beforehand, but my, my thought was that there are some places where there's not even, it seems like there's um, enough, access or things to do or places to go to justify staying in that place for say two nights or you know a night and a half and two days or whatever however the the math works out and to me on our trips the the two times this has come up where west texas is sort of this way just because there's so little publicly accessible land and at least in theory you can't road cruise that like it's you have to drive these huge expanses. It's sort of this massive area, even without that much access, right? It's the antithesis of Utah, right? Where there's so much accessibility and even Florida, I was shocked and pleasantly surprised by Florida uh, in terms of all the publicly accessible opportunity within habitat. Um, the other spot was, yeah, around uh, uh, Captain Creek and all that on the last mm -hmm. Australia trip that we had taken. Um, it was sort of the same thing where it was like, okay, this is, it's a surprisingly, and maybe it's something to do with this is a big picture question of like, okay, certain ecological niches are larger or smaller. And just that particular one that has coastal carpets, uh, which are very cool, but you know, that sort of becomes the, the big ticket item, um, in that area. It's a shockingly large area, at least for Australia, with the same animals. It's relatively uh, diverse around that area for a broader or a further way than you would think or sort of what we're used to. And certainly there, when you're into areas that have some elevation, maybe it's because there isn't much elevation change around there. And so that gives it a much uh, wider scope where all the things are more or less the same. So you actually have to go further to start seeing different things. Whereas both Utah, Colorado, a lot of the trips that we've taken, there's so much elevation change that we see more speciation within a narrower uh, diameter circle, right? In terms of mile radius. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, so I don't really know how that, how that fits in, but you know, <laughs> it's uh, maybe that speaks to whether Timing within an area, right, is saying, like, if it's all 
the same stuff and the habitat is the same, maybe you should inherently plan for less time in that area because you're going to spend longer in it just by the nature of having to get through it, um, as opposed to saying this is an area where if I drive 10, let alone 50 miles down the road, all the species are different. The habitat's completely different. There's so much more opportunity. That's probably a better base camp opportunity, whereas if it's all the same uh, critters and habitat for 200 miles, we probably that 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 speaks to your yeah. strategy. Yeah. Or um, I guess the alternative to that is you uh, broaden your target list. You know, you include maybe a weird, you know, leaf tail gecko that's only found on a mountain range close to that area or a bird or, a, you know, I, uh, sorry to say the B word, but <laughs> maybe a, a bird or, yeah, a, or I, some kind I, of, I heard it. <laughs> yeah. Some other kind of mammal or, or maybe even like a hike or, or, you know, a geological feature or something. So even if you're finding the same things over and over, you might find something unique and, you know, you know, pretty close by or in that area, especially if you're sticking to the same area for three or, you know, three or two or three nights, um, you'll want to have kind of those backup plans in case you do find everything and you don't have the option of driving far away. <laughs> so, you know, broaden your horizons, I guess that was kind yeah. of the, the, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> take home when, when we were on the Dorat road. Cause I kept stopping for geckos and the guys were, kind of whining about it. Like, what are you stopping for another gecko? I'm like, are you kidding me? You just want to drive? You don't want to stop and look at this stuff? Like, come on. <laughs> uh, and maybe that made us miss a, a children's python yeah. crossing the road or something. But, you know, it, I think you got to kind of look at the bird in the hand rather than the two in the bush. But, <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, I totally agree on that. And I think that's, uh, yeah, it is super important just in general. Uh, field herping generally to embrace and maximize the opportunity with all the different things that you can because yeah what if oh you had to, I know you had mentioned this right when we one of those uh, talk about a rare bird the uh, student of the serpent episode that we done on Wombo pythons where Eric and I chatted with you about your experience with that and uh, the the pull to move forward because. Hey, I just found like early in the night, right? I found this awesome thing that must yeah. be a positive harbinger, right? You know, and yeah. instead, uh, that wound up being the only thing and you look retroactive only with the benefit of hindsight. Can you say, well, I should have just spent three hours with that thing? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You, yeah. You, it's always that question of should I move on and try to find more or should I be happy with what I have? Yeah. That's a, that's a tricky call to make. <laughs> hundred um, percent. One thing, another point that I think is an advantage of the localized trips are not trying to cover too much ground. And again, this, so this needs to be the right environment for this to happen. So this makes sense in Utah, makes sense in Florida, um, doesn't necessarily make sense in West Texas is that if you're focused on an area, I feel like you can do both things. You, you mentioned, right. Essentially, if you go to Darwin, you have to go to Hog Dam. It's obligatory. If you went on a herp trip in the NT, in the, you flew into Darwin, you didn't go to Fog Dam, people would say, what the heck are you doing? You know, that, that doesn't mm -hmm. make any sense. So there's obligatory spots. Yeah. And then, so if you're transitory through that area, then if you're going to sort of follow that logic and do the obligated spot, 
then you don't really have time to go off the beaten track, try and find, oh, actually, the folks who live in Darwin, yes, the fog dam, blah, 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 but the spot they won't tell you about is X, Y, or Z, right? That's, uh, you know, two miles away, and they prefer that nobody go there and all this sort of stuff. If um, you're on a focus trip, to me, you have a greater capacity to do both those things. You can go to Uluru. You can do the obligatory tourist thing. You, Seriously, you went to the Red Center and you didn't go to Uluru. What's wrong with you? Blah, blah, blah. But as you mentioned, that it's not like a hop, skip, and a jump. So, like, you got to – there's a commitment to that. And if you only have a short period of time there, the only thing that happens is, oh, I – especially now that you can't, you know, get on to Uluru, that it's like, oh, you, you stood X distance away. You took some photos. And hopefully – I mean, shoot, we do see – uh, I forget whose photos it was, but um, actually it was uh, the Reptile Mountain, a local guy to me, um, had a video where on the road he saw Moloch oh, yeah. on the road to Uluru and all this stuff. Yeah. It's like, awesome. Um, the, you know, that that's fantastic, but say it's not there for you on that day or whatever, and then you it's just to me, if you're in a, folk, in a uh, focused area, you have a greater capacity to do quote what you need to do and also explore some things that aren't what people would tell you to go do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so to me, that's, that's sort of an advantage is that you have the opportunity to do those things as opposed to saying, Oh yeah, I went to the red center and I didn't go to Uluru yeah. or saying, yeah, I only went there and I didn't actually get sort of, you know, into a creek bed in the McDonald's ranges or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, we, we went out there, my dad and I, when we went to central Australia and, um, I was kind of shocked by the, the ticket price to get into Uluru. It was like a hundred bucks a person or, or, you know, an extravagant wow. amount in my, my opinion, you know, it seemed like, Whoa, I'm, I'm used to, you know, American, uh, national parks, but maybe it wasn't that much, but it was like, a lot for me at the time back in 2010 when I was kind sure. of just starting out as not a, nothing. a professor. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so, um, the, and, and then you were expected to leave the park. So, you know, we got there, we, we actually slept out along the way. And so we were, we got to Uluru or the park in the morning. And then I was shocked by the, the lack of trails within that place. So you're spending a hundred bucks and there's a total of like four trails to go on. <laughs> it's like, and then they expect you to get yeah. out of there within your 24 hours or whatever, and, and maybe pay and come back in for, if you want to go another day, we actually, we actually just kind of hmm. broke the rules and slept in the parking lot at uh Katajuda, the, the Olga's. And, uh, um, I guess we're lucky we didn't get booted, but kicked out of there, but we, yeah, set up our tent in the parking lot and it was raining. So maybe that's why the Rangers weren't out checking because they figured nobody would be that crazy. But, um, so we got up early in the morning and did the hikes around Katajuda the next day. So, uh, we kind of, you know, milk the system a little bit or however, whatever the saying goes. But, um, so, but, you know, we, we got to see a little bit more and, you know, stay out there a little longer, but man, it was, it was cool around that area. And, you know, it's, there's some benefits there and, and we only saw them DOR, but you can see uh centralian and Western blue tongues in the same area there. 
uh, Womas, you know, all sorts of good stuff out in, you know, by Eulara out in that area. So, um, it's a cool spot to hit. And I just felt like we had to do it, you know, and, and I don't know that we would have done it if, uh, our rental hadn't have had, uh, unlimited miles because originally like the rentals place right. is like, no, you don't have unlimited miles. You have a hundred K's a day. And I'm like, holy crap, we can't, you know, would use up all our K's to go yeah, back and it just doesn't, doesn't yeah. work. So, um, luckily I showed them the rental agreement that said, unlimited miles and so they let us do it and we put a lot of miles <laughs> in that car <laughs> but uh yeah but we we were kind of in the same area for many days you know uh once we got back to alice springs we had four or five nights in alice and the surrounding area you know the um, mountain range there mcdonald ranges and kind of made our way to different canyons and stuff but don't missed out on a lot of cool stuff, but always a reason to go back. I guess we did see some good stuff for while we were there, but I need to get back there. Yeah, the Gillens. Oh, yeah. right away the Acanthurus. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, there's <laughs> there's definitely pluses and minuses, and you know, I think that's been nice to herp with you to kind of see the benefits of of your method of of trip planning and and also kind of see some of the things that I like about my method of herp trip, herp trip planning. But I think right. as far as uh group settings go, yours is yours takes the cake because I mean, I, you know, I guess it is fun to sit around like a campfire out in the wilderness, you know, in a tent or something and just kind of end up where you end up looking at the stars or, or it is nice to have a little, shelter and you know like especially in the case of inclement weather like the rains when we're sitting watching yeah. you know uh napoleon dynamite with nipper because we got rained out you know and we had a place to stay that night yeah. so that is a nice nice benefit of that yeah and i the one the only thing that i didn't say that i had intended to or thought as a point and um, I don't even know that it goes to one side or the other, more so than just speaking to the process and maybe folks who are listening can adapt it into their own process. And really, I think it's an amalgamation of both ours. It's saying that in general, I plan wide, plan wide lens and have sort of a big picture vision that's more in line with a, a trip that you would take. And then perpetually as I evaluate and evaluate and make choices, that lens shrinks. Um, and that's, I think, important and really shows the value of sort of the approach that you have is saying, okay, if I'm going to this area generally, what's the broadest possible realistic universe of things I could find? Then let me so kind of sort through that both in terms of practicalities and priorities and then work, you know, work down to, okay, how would that actually fit in into a realistic plan? And go for it. And that might be the grand tour, and that's the best answer. Or it could be, actually, we could base out of here, and that is literally centrally located, gives us all the things that we want, is centrally located to all this different stuff, gives us access to a whole bunch of different things, not the downside of saying, okay, well, I'm overly stuck in a habitat that isn't, is all the same. And so, to your point of the ability to move on, it's not only weather conditions, it's like, well, I'm just sort of done with this, be that done through success or done through failure. Sometimes, you know, the ability to, to just move on is really important. Yeah. 
I think that's a, a nice summation of the the discussion for sure. You know, there's definitely pros and cons to, to every side and, you know, uh, I might get stuck out in, in a snowstorm or something and have to drive a long way to avoid that or you know, that kind of thing. So, but you know, I, I, uh, it is good to think about and kind of pick your strategy or, and, and I think, you know, our discussion has brought up a lot of good, uh, salient points and, um, you know, when you choose, when you get out there and go, go on a trip or plan a trip, you can kind of see what you like to do. And, and hopefully our discussion will help you in that, that, uh, process. But, um, I think the, the bottom line is do your research, know, you know, what's in the area. Don't go to some Island that, you know, is the type locality for a really cool species and not know it, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's, it, I, I would recommend broadening your horizons and, and, you know, appreciating the other things. Cause that's another, you know, part of it is if you're not hitting on your target, um, if you have a lot of, you know, different targets, you're going to be happy for the most part, you know, if you miss out on a, a couple key ones. And I think that, uh, definitely happened with South Australia. You know, I could take comfort in seeing 40 shinglebacks, even though I didn't see a carpet and some cool knobtail geckos, but, <laughs> um, that's the way it goes sometimes. And, and, you know, you just roll with it and, and appreciate it as much as you can, <laughs> um, be it the company you're with or the, uh, the other animals you get to see, or the, just the beauty of being outside and being in nature, uh, it all works out to your benefit, I think. So just get out and herp, <laughs> get out and experience the natural world. I think that would be the bottom line and, and something we can definitely both agree on wholeheartedly. <laughs> it's, it's better to be out and, and missing on your big targets than not being out at all. And either way, you're going to learn something either through the, you know, the weather conditions or the, the, you know, the things that the, your target are experiencing, even if you don't get to see them, you can say, okay, well, maybe they don't need to be out in, in this kind of weather or this kind of, uh, circumstance. And you can still learn a lot of things, even if you don't see your targets. Anything else to add there? That's it. <laughs> yeah. The stat sig. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, that was a, that was a good, good topic. I, I like talking about that. And, and, and I, you know, I think my, my upbringing, um, probably shapes that a lot. When I was young, my, my dad would gave me the option. Do you want to go hunting during hunting season or do you want to go backpacking? And I chose backpacking. So I'm, you know, got used to carrying my supplies on my back and, and my, home and, and bed on my back. And so, you know, that, that's not very foreign to me. And so I, I, uh, have all the supplies and all the, you know, equipment and things. And so it's kind of second nature in a lot of ways and just like running around on the rocks and climbing cliffs and things like that. It just, you know, that's what, that's how I grew up. So it's kind of second nature to me. And so it may seem strange and bizarre for somebody looking from the outside in, but to me, that's just the way it goes. So, um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, regardless of your, your upbringing or how comfortable you are, there still is a lot to be a lot of rewarding things to be found out in, out, out in nature. <laughs> I don't know what, what trip are you looking forward to most in the coming year? 
Oh, I think that's, gosh, an impossible question, right? At, yeah. at, at this Any point, trip, I guess, right? six <laughs> on the, yeah, you know, six that I know of with the seventh hopeful and whatever. So there's something about each of them that I'm super excited about. But yeah, just uh, getting to it, you know, and getting yeah. back out there and doing it and um, <laughs> all of it, right? As you said, it's both the, the, environment just being in the space being not only being in the space but it's sort of your own space or your own headspace associated with doing it saying uh, sort of carving away that time to be in what hopefully should be a really good sort of space of clarity and enjoyment um and that's why it is so important to be as you said to be able to appreciate even if it's just the context of the thing of saying like hey i'm not doing I'm out of my normal routine and, and that's, um, has great value in itself. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, I guess this is kind of a painful topic to bring up in the middle of winter, but <laughs> who knows when you'll be listening to this. Maybe it's right in time to plan a great herp trip in the spring, but, um, yeah, I, I'm just excited to get back out there. It's, uh, it, the winters seem uncomfortably long sometimes, but, I guess that's what Australia is for. Go to go to Australia during the winters in the Northern Hemisphere or something or somewhere else down the Southern Hemisphere when it's cold here. Uh, well, yeah, great, uh, great discussion. Thanks, man. Um, anything cool yeah. in, in the herpetological good. realm that you've uh, seen in the last uh, week or two? Yeah, I just became aware today that and presumably it means that I missed it or maybe it's because we've had so few, we don't have our weekly, you know, necessarily stuck to the schedule, weekly NPR updates or whatever. Or maybe you knew, and I didn't talk to him about it at uh carpet fest, but I didn't realize that Ryan had bred the lesser sun dispythons yeah. um, this year, which are a well. snake that I love to hate. Yeah. I just saw I was like, and maybe I knew that, but hadn't fully appreciated it or whatever. But as an animal, that I think I've had them, and I know I, if I'm recalling it correctly, when we talked, when Ryan and I had talked about this four or five years ago, he was sort of similarly situated. Although now he's had great success, is I that's something I've had them four or five different times because they're so beautiful. They are they feel so soft. Um, they're trying to run through it to make sure I'm not misstating it. They're my favorite Indonesian uh, python for sure. They're um, similar to reticulated pythons in some ways, but they're very much their own thing. They're actually sort of like an Indonesian Jamaican boa in some ways. And um, I I know that Ryan is very jealous of the sort of the images that's in the book, Advances in Herpeticulture, where Dave and Tracy, when they first brought him, I know he's jealous of it because he took the same picture of one popping out of the egg, just gorgeous. Um, so somehow I had missed that because um, that's a huge deal. Those yeah. those animals are very touchy. They don't – on the last time that I've had them before I sent them to Owen, they just didn't acclimate it. They did fine in 28-quart tubs, and I they were – at a size where you'd say, wow, that's what you keep it in. And the answer was that they did really well in there. I tried to move them into cages and they went off food. They didn't, they hid for 
literally five weeks, even at night, with a red bulb coming in. They hit away. They're just a they're very almost unmatched in their capacity to not want to both disturbance of routine and then unwillingness to show themselves, you know, consistent fear and that sort of thing. So um that's super impressive and I'm really glad for him. So yeah, cool. today I either learned about it for the first time or took in and actualized for the first time that. So yeah, yeah that's a hell of a thing. That's funny too. Cause I, I realized it today as well. I was, I was scrolling through Facebook and maybe I just haven't been on Facebook that often, but I saw it there. Yeah, and me too. Went, oh, right. wow. Cool. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty neat. Uh, yeah. Um, I, uh, How about you? I, I haven't really, I've been focused on a couple projects I'm working on now, so I haven't been <laughs> kind of going outside of that realm, but I'm learning a lot about, uh, local local stuff lately and so that's been exciting it's getting me really pumped up for this uh, coming spring when things warm up and i can go flip some rocks or something and look for some of these uh, species that i haven't seen uh i i'm not sure if i saw a, a smooth green snake in utah or not i seem to have a memory of being young and seeing one in a tree a, a, a smooth green but it could have been a yellow-bellied racer, it could, you know, which are more commonly encountered. But I, right. I remember being in the mountains with my dad on a trip and seeing a, a green snake, you know, in the trees that I that got away from me and I lost it. But I remember seeing it. But you know, that could have been a dream. I could be having some weird mismemory or <laughs> some false memory. But <laughs> so that's what I want to find in the spring. I want to go see if I can try my luck in, in the mountain ranges. And there's some areas that look like they have higher number of records on INAT or whatever. So I'll go check out that is, those areas, but I'm kind of excited for some of the locals. Awesome. And I, I like, I was going to mention this in our discussion, but uh, I think, you know, when I was starting out and I had less PTO, I was focusing more on saving up my time so I could go to Australia for three weeks and I was neglecting my backyard. You know, I wasn't herping as much in Utah and, and especially where, where I live. And so these last few years of kind of more, um, us based herping trips and things like that, it's made me appreciate the stuff that we have in the state and, and also kind of, um, a little embarrassment on my own part of not having found, you know, especially after meeting Nipper and, you know, hearing he's, he's a couple species away. <laughs> how have you not found everything? Yeah, yeah, exactly. How do you not know, or how do you, how have you not found everything in your state yet when he's found everything pretty much in Europe? So <laughs> yeah, he's, he's uh, inspired me to get out and find all my local things. And I mean, that, that makes it hurt all the more when you guys find a pair of pyros when I haven't made it on the trip yet. So (laughs) I need to rectify. Well, we only found them because of that circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's kind of one of those. That's for uh, sure. Quirks. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I did appreciate the the message that I got or the call that I got from you guys uh, (laughs) saying, Hey, guess what? That was pretty good. (laughs) Because you did call it. You called it. So I can't complain because I made the choice to come a day late. So that's my own fault. (laughs) And maybe that's the reason you guys found it, right? (laughs) If I wasn't there, I think that's the way to take it. (laughs) Yeah. We wouldn't have found it. 
But we would have been I there. Guess... And it's not that you being there or whatever, we would have been there 10 minutes earlier or 10 minutes yeah. later because, you know. Right. Whatever. Meeting up. So you know? weird, yeah. yeah. And and I think um, – and, and that's okay. I mean I, I guess I'm I'm glad that it wasn't like – I had to fly into Australia daily and I miss seeing the Owen Pelly Python by a day. You know, that would be right. a little harder yeah. to rectify, yeah. but these are in that, my backyard. <laughs> I can drive three hours and go find one, you know, so it's not the worst, worst thing in the world. So <laughs> yeah, someday I'll get there. A hundred percent. Well, to your, to your point, I, I will give uh, your approach or at least a variant of your approach. One final point here would be, the night we saw the Owen Pelly Python, the black-headed python, um, the northern a one of two northern brown snakes, um, all that stuff that happened in 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 the vein of uh, a trip more of your making, in that we were not intended to be there. Eric had left his phone. A German had returned it to the crocodile-shaped hotel, so we were there anyway. We were going to try and go in the morning, and I said. Let's give it one more go. Let's give it three nights, which seems to be the magic number up in that spot. And, uh, you know, sure enough, it came off, but it, it wasn't to plan. We, yeah. to your point, we did, I think we drove nine or 10 hours that day based on sort of the route that we had going and getting back out there and all that stuff. And yeah, you got to be adaptable. And that made a huge difference. Paid off. Yeah. <laughs> Paid off. That's for sure. Well, my friend, it's been a good discussion, and we've uh, put in a, about an hour and a half now. Not, not a, uh, it's, I mean, not a record breaker, but it's a pretty long uh, episode for Reptile Fight Club. So we had plenty to talk about, and I think we both feel passionate and and are, uh, you know, can see the the benefit of either side. So that was a, a great discussion. Appreciate it, and your your preparation and the good points you brought up. So, <laughs> all right, well. Um, there's yeah. nothing else to to touch on. I guess we'll uh, say goodnight and thanks again for listening to Reptile Fight Club. And we'll catch you again next time. Fight Club.